I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say, in a voice like thunder, Come, I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on a conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what, what, what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage, do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close, close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plagued by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called, in a, called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number for their, of their fellow servants the brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like a sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs dropped from a fig tree were shaken by a strong wind. The heaven receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes and the generals, the rich and the mighty and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that um, you're a good and a gracious king. Thank you that you're a just king. Thank you that you give us life and love and joy, but you also don't stand in justice. Thank you that um, in the face of all the brokenness in our world, you provide an answer in Jesus. Thank you that you never give up on us. Lord, help us to understand this passage. I don't have anything unless you say it this morning. So... Please speak to us, open our hearts and our ears to what you're saying in the Revelation. Amen. Awesome. So, Revelation. Sorry? Oh, yes, the kids. Kids are going out. So, Kingdom Kids. Sorry. All right, turn to the people next to you and one minute mingle. Let's, while the kids are going out, turn and say good day.
Okay, let's bring it back together. Awesome. Haven't quite had to use as loud voice as I have to use at youth group, but <laughs> uh, there you go. Offering? Uh, probably in the last song. <laughs> cool. Revelation. For good reason, it's been labelled one of the most difficult books in the Bible. Um, I don't know about you, but when I see it, it it's, it's full on. We started a few weeks ago, Pastor David started with this, this incredible picture of the risen Jesus. And then we moved on to the letters to the seven churches. And, and I, up to that point, I can deal with it. Like, like we've got Jesus, and that's great. And then the letters, they're, they're challenging, but they're, they're practical too. So I can deal with that. And then we get to the weird stuff. We have scrolls and lambs and creatures and horses and dragons and lakes of fire and trumpets and thrones. What do we do with this? Like last week I was, I was sitting in uh, a cafe and I had my Bible open to Revelation 6 and, and I'm sitting looking, what, what do I say? And I, I've got my, my Bible open and I have no idea because like, I've got explanations. I could tell you about the horses or what this means here or what John's saying here but but I look up from my Bible and all around me in this cafe is people and they're talking and I'm thinking what in the world does Revelation 6 have to say to these people because in almost every way what John is writing what Mildred read really well before all this stuff is just so out there so seemingly irrelevant or freaky, it seems totally disconnected from the lives that these people live, right? And, and so while John is talking about these crazy visions, the people around me in this cafe are talking about grandkids and kids, about hospital trips and buying houses and relationships and, and ordinary life stuff. What does Revelation 6 have to say to that? And, and I'm sure many of these people would have actually said, yeah, sure, I'm, I believe there's a God. I believe there's a spiritual reality. I'm, I'm happy for there to be a heaven, but I'm just not that into this kind of stuff. I, I don't know about you, but I certainly have heard people say, you probably have as well, things like, I'm a Christian, or I believe in God, but I'm just not that religious or that spiritual. I'm... I'm sure you've heard that. But here's the thing. What John is doing in Revelation 6 is he's opening our eyes to a spiritual reality beneath and behind this one. He's showing us that what we face here, the ordinary stuff that the people in the cafe that I talked about were facing, the ordinary stuff that you and I face, is not all that disconnected from the spiritual reality behind it all. In fact, uh, the, the Celtic uh, Christians, Celtic writers, describe what they called thin places, where, where the divide between this reality, this life, and what we can't see was kind of thin. Thin places, I love that. And that's what John is doing. John is winding back the curtains to show us this breathtaking, this uh, incredible full-color view into this unseen realm. He's showing us that this reality beneath and behind this one 
is not disconnected at all from what we face. In fact, it has direct and, and direct connections and direct impacts to what we go through in life. And that's with that in mind is where we pick up Revelation 6 today. Uh, I think David might have talked about the scroll last week in his sermon. And we start again with this scroll opening up, which I think is, is God's answer to the brokenness of our world. God's revelation, God's plan, and it's a symbol for, for this plan coming into action. But before we look at the horsemen and what comes out of the seals, I'd like to jump forward to verse 10, where there's this cry. They shouted to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge? How long, O Lord? It's, it's these martyrs, these people who have died for the cause of Christ that are crying out here. How long, O Lord? But when you think about it, it's something that we all cry, don't we? We realize that this world is not how it's supposed to be. We, we struggle with things. We're, we're broken people. We live in broken relationships. And, and things are, are, are just not right. And we cry out something deep inside of us longs. How long, O oh Lord, until it's set right, until God steps in? And while, while Revelation is, is future-pointing, it's also present-revealing, John is, is pointing to what's happening here and now. And, and so, when we go back to the, the four horsemen, I think what he's saying, and I'll just add here, I don't have the answers, I, I don't know exactly what it all means, and I think that's okay, because Revelation isn't a book of answers. It's not written to give us answers. It's written to ignite our imagination with the possibilities of what things would look like, could look like, do look like when Christ is king and is guiding history to its conclusion. So it's not, it's not giving us answers, it's, it's igniting our imagination. And so we get to these four horsemen, I think they're symbolizing conquest, the white horse riding out with conquest, there's a red horse of violence and war, there's a white horse or is it a black horse a black horse and it's it's like economic disaster and then there's this pale sickly green horse of of disease and death these things are when you think about it violence war conquest economic disaster disease death pretty average day in the life of human history right and and in response there's this cry how long, O oh Lord? How long? We cry out with the martyrs here. We cry out with Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah and all the Old Testament prophets who saw the injustice of it all. And they, they just couldn't help but cry, How long, O oh Lord? We all at some point want God to step in and deal with the bullies. Or have we been the bullies? Because we end up seeing that it's not just the brokenness out there, but it's something inside of us that's behind it all. It's this sin, how brokenness, our life without God crumbles everything. People crumble. The world crumbles. Nations and empires crumble. But in the face of all this, verse 11, God speaks. 
we hear this voice telling, telling these martyrs, these people who have died in the injustice of it all, they're told to rest a little longer. But they're given a gift. They're given a white robe. Now, it's important to remember that these, these people that John is writing to, he's writing to a particular time and a place. And, and this, in this context, the Christians were daily in a situation where they were putting their lives on the line for the cause of Christ. And so in this situation, John is reminding them why it's worth standing, why it's worth hanging in there. They're not just going through the motions. They're not just putting their lives on for an idea. They're putting their lives on the line for Jesus, and they get this picture of Jesus in the beginning of Revelation. But, but it's not only who Jesus is, it's who they are in Him. There's this spiritual reality, there's this position, white robes. What, what, what's, what's with the white robes? Well, I love how elsewhere in the Bible it points to how what Christ has done has covered over what we have done, the, the, the life that I've lived, the, the way that I've never lived up to the standard of my, my own standard, let alone God's standard. But in light of that, when I trust in Christ, He's covered me with Himself. And so now when Christ sees me, when God sees me, He doesn't see me. He sees Christ, Christ in me, the hope of glory, as Colossians says. This white robe that's given but Revelation keeps going. And things keep getting worse. We get to the sixth seal and there's this day of disaster, this destruction. It culminates when, when, when all this evil and brokenness in our world comes to a head. It just seems to be as bad as it could possibly be. And, and it seems like it's all kaput, it's all broken, it's all had it. Seems like hope is lost. But it's in the face of that that Revelation reminds us that God is not in the business of giving up on us. God is in the business of bringing justice where there is injustice, of setting things right, of making all things new. And so it's in this brokenness, when things are seeming to get worse, when life isn't getting any better, that we're reminded that Jesus will have the last word, that God will win. But Revelation 6 doesn't end with the disaster. There's this, this brokenness, things are falling apart, but it doesn't end with the disaster, this crash-bang sort of brokenness. No, it ends with a question. Verse 17. Who can stand the justice of God? Who is able to survive? Who can stand? Because... Like I said, we all long for God to set things right. We long for, for God to, to fix things. We have this longing inside of us. But, but when I think that, there's alarm bells going off in my head because if God is going to deal with the injustice, it means He's also got to deal with me because I'm part of the problem. The brokenness is in me too. And, and I, I find it interesting in this passage that it says, then everyone... The kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful. You could add the CEOs, the, the leaders, the prime ministers, the presidents. But it's also every slave, every free person, the forgotten, the refugees, the, the nobodies. We're all asking this same question. 
if God is a just God and if God is going to set things right, then, then who can stand? Because if God was going to look at my life, at everything I've thought and done, if this God who sees every part of me is going to deal justly, I don't want that. Really? Who can stand? This God who saw me at my deepest, darkest parts and then is going to justly deal with the world? Who can stand? Which brings us back to where it all started. The very beginning of Revelation chapter 6, the first couple of words. Uh, as I watched the Lamb. As I watched the Lamb. See, Revelation starts with a picture of Jesus. Chapter 6 starts with a picture of Jesus. And if we forget, in the midst of all this bright color, incredible, uh, intense imagery, if we forget that it's all about the Lamb, we've missed it all. John gives us this picture, but, but it's not a code of what's going to happen in the future. We're not supposed to look at here and work out when things are going to finish or when the world is going to end. In fact, Revelation isn't even mostly about the future. It's about Jesus, and it's about this picture of what would look like, what, what things will look like, what things do look like, when Christ is ruling king over all of history and guiding it to its ultimate conclusion. John is reminding these first followers of Jesus that Christ's death and resurrection has secured something, has secured a victory that is so complete, finished for all time, that can never be shaken. Jesus will not fall off his throne. Christ has won and now, as followers of Jesus, we're in on the victory. This is why we gather as a church. This is why we do youth ministry. This is why we're passionate about a movement of people who are strong for the cause of Christ. This is why we bother about following Jesus. It's because we've seen that Jesus is our answer, that there is no other answer to the brokenness of our world than Christ himself. He is our answer. And so what can we do but come to him with all of our brokenness? And we see that in that, we stand in him, covered by him, following with him. John's vision here isn't to leave us depressed, scared with what's going to happen. It's giving us a glimpse into the spiritual reality beneath and behind it all. He's reminding us that this destruction and this brokenness is to be expected because it starts from the brokenness in us. And, and, and it's all going to get worse but who can stand? What's the answer to the brokenness? There's only one, and he's the one who took your place. This lamb who died but rose again. This lamb who, who freed me from the sin that weighed me down. And so God, instead of seeing me as I really am, has now covered me with a robe of righteousness, covered me with himself so that God sees me holy and pure in his sight. And so in the face of all this brokenness, may you know this really is good news. Christ covering us, Christ guiding us, guiding history to its conclusion. And so in the face of all the disaster, when we've done all that we can, we can stand confident in him. Let's pray. Father God, sometimes revelation is complicated, confusing, 
Sometimes life is confusing. Why there's brokenness and mess and pain and, and why I stuff up and, and this brokenness is in me. But Lord, thank you for reminding us that you will never fall off your throne. You have won the victory. You've covered us with that victory and that can never be shaken. You've finished it once and for all. So Lord, as we go out this week, to whatever we face, even when things get worse, may we be reminded that what you have done for us lasts for all history and it means that we stand confident in you. We'll never be shaken. Thank you, Lord. May we come to you with everything we're going through and leave it at the altar. In Jesus' name, amen.